Welcome to the teaching ministry of Calvary Chapel, South London. You can visit us at calvarychapelsouthlondon.org. Amen. So here we are again in the book of Acts, the history of the early church, and our topic today is Peter and John represent. Peter and John represent. And we're going to try to look at the whole of chapter 4. Now, have you guys been um, reading through the, the scriptures prior to us actually coming together on a Sunday? I ask that you do that because it would probably take about 5 to 10 minutes to read through the whole of chapter 4. And not because it's not important, but evidently for the time restraints um, I ask that you just read ahead. Um, so like next week, just read chapter 5, even though I suspect we won't deal with the whole of chapter 5. Read chapter 5 next week so that you come already primed and appreciative of the text to a, to a degree. Amen? So, Acts chapter 4. Last week, we looked at the miraculous healing of the man at the Corinthian gate, or commonly known as the gate beautiful. The people who witnessed this event marveled. But Peter quickly allowed this astonishing act to do its job as a sign. As a sign to, to point somewhere. To point to that which was more important, even more important than the benefit of this poor man. That is the declaration of the message of salvation. This miracle was not an end in itself, but that which secondarily reversed the man's physical misery, but primarily would provide eternal spiritual healing to 2,000 people. It's one thing to be given a stage, but what are you going to do with that stage? It's one thing to be given notoriety, fame, the spotlight. Now all eyes are on you. But the question is, what are you going to do? What are you going to do, Peter, John? What are you, if you have a stage to some degree, a platform to some degree, what are you going to do? Are you going to? Pop your collar? Are you going to flick off the dust off your shoulder and encourage the cameras to come closer? Or are you going to be like Peter who immediately does the opposite and reflects the spotlight onto Jesus? Literally saying, why are you looking at us? Verse 12 of chapter 3 that we looked at last week. At which point, 
after throwing the light or reflecting the light onto Jesus, Peter then preaches his second public sermon. And we find out that it was the very same message that he had declared the first time, where he accuses the listeners of their sinfulness in verse 19 and their need to respond in repentance. As a result, we see another 2,000 added to the already 3,000 strong group, or possibly 8,000 now in total. We're not sure if the previous 3,000 are added now and come to a a total of of, of 5,000, or as we see in verse 4, it's actually 5,000 added to the previous 3,000. Well, here we are in verse 1 of Acts chapter 4. Now, as they spoke to the people, right, this is all going on. As they spoke to the people who were excited about what had happened and people can't believe it and are marveling and, and responding to the message. As they spoke to the people, here come the priests, the captain of the temple, not just the soldiers or the, the the officers of the temple, not just the the, the temple police, the captain of the temple, and the Sadducees, it says they came upon them. (laughs) Right here in this temple area, in the vicinity closely protected by those given responsibility to rule over Israel, spiritually and politically, Obviously, under the overall control of the Roman Empire. Yet, these men, who ought to to be the moral and religious conscience of the nation, they have no morals, or ethics, or piety. They only have a form of godliness. And in a moment, we will see them go on to blatantly deny the power of God. Now, throughout history, we see that very often the greatest enemies of God are religious people. The greatest enemies of God, sadly, are religious people who claim to represent God, but go on to cause great damage to the kingdom of God. In verse 2, we are given insight as to this particular group's disposition. It says, verse 2, being greatly disturbed that Peter and John taught the people and preached in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. They're grieved. They are distressed and they're troubled because these two men have, one, got the attention of the people. I mean, major attention. And two... They're convincingly communicating their message. And it's all about their old arch enemy, Jesus of Nazareth. Why won't he just roll over and die? Well, you see, this time, they picked the wrong man to meddle with. Dying, according to the Lord Jesus, dying 
just is not on his JD. Nevertheless, verse 3 says, And they laid hands on them and put them in custody until the next day, for it was already evening. However, many of those who heard the word believed, and the number of the men came to be about 5,000. Again, total, we're not sure, or 5,000 here plus the 3,000 from before. So it's either five to 8,000 that have been converted since the day of Pentecost. I mean, mad harvest. It says they laid their hands on them. That is, the servants of God are now incarcerated. But guess what? The word of God is never bound. Not just a few, but verse 4 says, how many are affected? Many are affected, even whilst the apostles are in jail. The word of God, empowered by the spirit of God, is affecting people's lives. And there's nothing that these religious, these religious leaders can do about it. Yet, that won't stop them from trying. Why? Because they have so much to lose. These men are extremely powerful and wealthy. And they have acquired all of this wealth, power, and prosperity through underhanded methods, through underhanded means, providing stalls to the sellers of sacrifices within the temple compound. It's here that Mark 11 says that Jesus went in and kicked over the tables and chairs. Remember, he, he sat down and made a whip. You can imagine the disciples thinking, mm-mm, what's he doing? And then what did they say when he started kicking over tables and chairs? And started whipping, not the people, not the sellers, he whipped the animals, right? <laughs> and they began to run about all over the place and it was just chaos, money spilling everywhere and you see in Jesus of Nazareth. Right here. And who was getting all of the money from that which was being sold in the temple? Well, it was these religious leaders. Getting money from the money changers. See, they were making their profit, but then they also had to make payment to those who ran the temple. See, these individuals, they were receiving extraordinary amounts of money also, through monetary offerings. I mean, we just saw 5,000 people get saved. Now, this is probably just a subsection of those visiting the temple. You're talking about a whole heap of people. And a whole heap of people giving. Giving to the, to the Lord via the temple. Remember back in the Old Testament... You had a couple of priests who were just like these priests. Ain't nothing new under the sun. I mean, we still got them today, right? And these priests, the people were bringing their sacrifices and their offerings. And they, these priests were kind of standing there watching what was going on. And as the people would bring their offering, ready to, to put it on the altar, to sacrifice it to the Lord, they'd be like, you know what? Don't, don't put that one on the fire. And people would be like, but it's my offering. I want to offer up to the Lord. They'd be like, no, 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 no. We're going to take that. Uncooked. 
And then what you're going to do, you can't tell the high priest, you can't tell the leaders, you can't tell the, 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 the priests who are there representing God. You're not going to tell them no. And they would take that and they would sell that. There was a lucrative market. Making extraordinary amounts of money through the people's offerings. You're talking about hundreds of thousands of shekels over the course of a feast or a festival. Scholars today suggest that earnings for these leaders ran into the millions. Now that's a lot of money now, much less back then. So these men have interests to protect. These men don't want to be provoked. People have lost their lives because they've crossed these, these leaders and many others will go on to lose their lives if necessary. These are the lengths that they are prepared to go to. They don't want, and they're going to let you know, they don't want their buttons pushed. But guess what? Their buttons are being pushed and it seems like they're having to move to DEFCON 1. Look at verse 5. And it came to pass on the next day that their rulers, the elders, and scribes, listen to the list, as well as Annas the high priest, Caiaphas, John, and Alexander, as many as of were the family of the high priest, were gathered together at Jerusalem. You see that? The family of the high priest. One, I wonder if there was some nepotism going on. That is, you know what? You get a position, so you bring in the whole of your family. Now, it's one thing bringing in your family if God has called those individuals from your family. But it's another thing if you're just using your power and your position to bring in who you, who you choose. See, as many as were of the family of the high priests, I mean, to me... These guys, because I know the context, which I hope the Lord will help me to paint, because these guys are the way they are, they come across to me like gangsters. You know, like when them Italian gangsters, nothing against Italian people, when them Italian gangsters, the mobsters used to get together, it'd be them and their whole family, right? With white napkins eating spaghetti, right? With their... With their Old, old school machine guns. Family, like, a, like the mob. And the whole family are here of the leaders, all the heads, and it's like good fellas. And you've got Annas, the high priest, old Marlon Brando himself, the godfather. Now we're going to see in a minute that these men are organized criminals. And they have all come together, they've all descended now, on Jerusalem, verse 7, and when they had set them, that is Peter and John, in the midst, they asked, by what power or by what name have you done this? Now this group, this family, this collective are commonly known as the Sanhedrin or the 70 or the 71 including the high priest. This group and are confronted with a challenge like no other. 
And it's reminiscent of the past for them because they've been here before with regard to this particular group or at least the leader of this particular group, right? And they're confronted with a challenge like no other. Now, it's their job as the Sanhedrin, the ruling authority, to determine the validity of what's been going on that was the day before, right? So they're actually doing their job. It's what they're supposed to do. And here they are, here they are now probably in a, in a grand inner chamber, very overpowering in its presence and its design. And we've got these, these two men standing before the senior Israeli council who are trying to determine the validity of the day's events. And what are they actually trying to determine? See, a miracle has taken place. And not only is it hearsay, the man upon whom the miracle was performed is there also with them. But in their minds, it's a miracle has allegedly taken place. And they're trying, according to the legal stipulation, to get to the bottom of it. And what or who, they want to know, is the source. Verse 8, then Peter filled with the Holy Spirit. And Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, rulers of the people and the elders of Israel. Notice Peter's manners. Very polite and respectful. We see a similar thing later on in Acts chapter 23 with Paul who apologizes for speaking out of turn to the high priest. Why? Because the high priest had Paul struck I don't know if it was a slap around the face, punch around the face. I don't know if they need him or... But he was struck on command of the high priest. And Paul turns around and Paul says to him, you know what? God will strike you, you whited wall. You white sepulcher. Remember where he got that from? Jesus speaking to them previously. God's going to punch you in the face. But then someone said, how dare you speak to the high priest in that fashion? And Paul was like, whoa, I take that back. I didn't realize you were the high priest. Respect. Respect for those in authority, dignitaries. On Thursday night, um, our men's discipleship, Daniel was telling us that he came a bit late and it was because the police had stopped him. And um, he was explaining that the police were a little bit difficult as they were questioning him, questioning him. One of the things I think they said to him, how old are you? Now they said, have you got any ID on you? And he said, no, 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 I haven't. They said, hmm, you ain't got no ID on you? Hmm. And he said, look, I'm just going around to my friend's house. It's like, I live around the corner. I'm just... They're like, how old are you? And it was two of them. So you know they, they'd hit you. One of them will ask one question, and you're just trying to assimilate it, and another one hits you with another. Yeah, how old are you, by the way? And he said, I'm 36. And they were like, hmm, yeah, right. Like you look 36. You ain't 36, and you ain't got no ID. So they was giving him a hard time, you know what I mean? Now, some of us may have experienced 
You know what I'm saying? Similar handling. Um, but you know what? Rather than say, what's wrong with you? Like, you always want to stop people like me. Blah, 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 blah. He didn't. He just responded, yes, officer, no, officer. Three bags, full officer. Respectful. See? He could have been rude, but he wasn't. We must respect those who are in authority, whether they deserve it or not. It's the fifth commandment. Honor your mother and your father if they're good to you. No, it, there is no addendum. No, no parenthesis. I'm saying, honor your mother and your father in order that your days may be long upon the land. It's a commandment with a promise. And... Um, whether your mum or your dad are quote-unquote respectable people, you have to respect them anyway, right? I think the younger generation could learn a thing or two about that, amen? Yeah. Being filled with the Spirit. Peter politely continues in verse 9 to say, if we this day are judged for a good deed done to a helpless man, by what means he has been made well, let it be known to you all and, and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, huh, I, I, no, I messed that up, I did. Let it be known to you, all of you, I'll still try and to all the people of Israel, that what happened psh, is never going to happen again. I mean, you guys are so overpowering, and we know that our lives are on the line right now. So, hey, I mean, this man, I don't even know how it happened. We were just there, and I reached out to him, and I just wanted to kind of help the man. And he jumped up on his feet, and psh, John, do you know what happened? No, I ain't got a clue how it happened, bruv. That's not what they say. Quite forthrightly, he says, let it be known not just to the people of Israel who were out there and saw it. Let me just confirm it. But not just for them, but also for you. Because some, some of you possibly weren't there to see it, but let me just confirm it for you. That by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him, this man stands here before you whole. And the man probably said, yeah, that's right. <laughs> well, Peter answers the question, doesn't he? He answers the question and some. There is only one name. That can be given as a legitimate reason for all that you've seen take place. You see what Peter says when he's got the mic? And it's that name that you cannot get away from. The name that cannot be silenced. Even though you did the ultimate in killing him. And it was you particularly. That's right, says Peter. I said you, you murderers. Wait a minute. Shouldn't it be the council accusing them and not them accusing the council? Talk about man getting brave. Peter not only answers the question directly, 
but takes the liberty of reminding them of their involvement. (laughs) And then he highlights God's response in doing two things. He highlights God's response in doing two things. One, raising Jesus, whom they killed, from the dead, vindicating Jesus and condemning them all in one all in one sentence, all in one fell swoop. And two, raising not only Jesus, but raising this man up in Jesus' name or on the authority of the name of Jesus, further adding to and reinforcing God's approval of Jesus and God's disapproval of them. And mixed into the fabric of Peter's message is the gospel. The life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. How effective is Peter based on being filled by the Spirit? As he applies his message directly. That's, that's it. it's, one thing, it's one thing standing up on stage looking good. It's another thing standing up on stage and having something to say. But you know, it's another thing standing on stage, having something to say that applies directly to the hearers. It's powerful. And the Lord Jesus promised, didn't he? He promised the disciples that they would find themselves in circumstances like this and that he would give them the words to speak. Well, a large part of this contingency it is said in verse 1, were Sadducees. And they were the liberal theologians of their day who didn't believe in miracles. I'm not sure if you know this. The Sadducees didn't believe in miracles or angels or the supernatural or in resurrection. But they believed in God. It's like, work that one out. (laughs) Not believing in miracles. Um, Someone said, this is how you can remember who the Sadducees are. Not believing in miracles made them sad, you see. All right. For those of you who never heard that, I just thought I'd just let you know that one. It's one of them cheesy ones, but it helps you to remember. (laughs) Not believing in miracles. Anyway, that was then. How about a real-life, up-to-date example of Sadducees? Anybody heard of the Bishop of Durham? The Bishop of Durham. Can you guys see that? Or do they need to drop the lights a little bit? Drop the lights. The Bishop of Durham, from 1984... So 1994, when David Jenkins was Bishop of Durham, he argued passionately, check it, passionately against the physical resurrection of Jesus and dismissed it as a conjuring trick with bones. He rubbished, if that was bad, you think that was bad enough, right? He rubbished the virgin birth. He rubbished the literal truth of the Bible and even the continuing existence of the Church of England. You'd be like, you don't believe in the church that you are a leader of. I mean, it stands to reason, right? 
Incidentally, he kept his job throughout the furrow his sermons caused. The man kept his job. Check it. I am clear, he said, that there can be no hell for eternity. Our God could not be so cruel, he said. However, I think for some people who have wasted every opportunity for redemption, there may be extinction, otherwise known as annihilationalism. God will kill you and you will cease to exist if you've been a sinner all your life. I mean, now, how many of you would like to hear that gospel? <laughs> what? So what? When I die, God's just going to annihilate me. I'll just cease to exist. I'll be like, well, you know what? I will go and eat, drink, and be merry. Because tomorrow I'm going to die, and then that's it. I do not think it possible to believe any longer in a literal second coming or the end of the world. Well, how about, how about the end of your life? Are you going to tell me you don't believe in that? All right, then what? Did you know that he went to St. Dunstan's College? Kemi used to teach at that college. No slur on Kemi whatsoever. <laughs> it's only around the corner. It's in Catford. I'll look at that school differently every time I go past it from now on. The Times Online, one more quote, says, Jenkins has long been a strong supporter of civil partnerships. Now, you're not surprised at this now, knowing who he is and where he's coming from, right? He, Jenkins has long been a strong supporter of civil partnerships and last year became one of the first clergymen to bless such a union between two men, one of whom was a vicar. I mean, when he was in office, this man's salary was being paid by the church. Tell you, it, 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 it angers those of us who ain't getting no salary from the church. <laughs> I ain't even going to go there. <laughs> 1984, I don't know if you heard, but York, <laughs> York Minster, right, got struck with lightning and people deemed it the judgment of God <laughs> on Jenkins. A, a lightning bolt bun up the church. <laughs> Hi. So these, look, that's, that's a modern day example of who we're talking about. So these liberal, unbelieving theologians, these Sadducees, are in a place of extreme embarrassment now. Why? As God outwardly, publicly, in the temple, in front of thousands, does what they said cannot be done. A miracle. This is the last thing that these men would want to see happen in Jerusalem. During this time. Because everyone in the city knew that the Sadducees don't believe in miracles. The only way it could get worse is if there was a miracle and then someone got up and preached the resurrection. 
Because they don't believe in the resurrection. So the very two things that identify these men are put up in cinema screen fashion. I mean like IMAX presentation. And they recognize that this is a major threat to them. The people are being drawn to a group other than them. And the apostles, check it, are making it even worse. Look at the way they begin to rub salt into the wounds, as it were, in verse 11. Because Peter ain't finished yet. This is the stone which was rejected by you builders, which has become the chief cornerstone. See, these leaders or this construction team has left out the most important part of the building. Majoring on literal buildings, the temple. Majoring on money. Majoring on, on robes and garments. Majoring on position, prestige and power. Sound familiar? This team of laborers have left out the most important part of the building because they are building according to their own blueprint. They have their own agenda, like cowboys who have no care or concern for the customer. You know the cowboy comes in, yeah, takes out his tape measure, starts looking around, yeah, well, we can put this in there, we can put that in there. You're a cowboy. You don't care. Chatting about, yeah, it will look lovely when once we get that fitted in there. You're a cowboy. You have no care or concern for the customer. You make it seem like you do, but you don't. You're only consumed with your own personal benefit. This was supposed to be the father's house. A place where common people could come and not get rinsed, but where common people could come and commune with God. And I mean, you know, Christian people, godly people, are sometimes among the most naive people on the planet. I tell you, God is not pleased with it. Then or now. Yet, judgment is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. It's not our job. It's not my job. This was supposed to be the Father's house. But nah, these men have made it a den of thieves. Jesus went ramping when he said that. He meant what he said, and he said what he meant. They've made it a den of thieves. I told you, these men are criminals. And they have to be identified as such. You are the ones who ought to be representing God. You are the ones who ought to be setting an example. And Peter quotes the Lord Jesus, who quotes Psalm 118, which is actually a scathing attack against these hypocrites, if you read it, Psalm 118. But in the meantime, turn with me to 1 Peter chapter 2. I always have to get you to do some work. 1 Peter chapter 2, and it's Peter again is going to quote I must ask you to forgive me because I've got to 
I don't know, I've had this throat problem for about six months, so I'm forever clearing my throat, so I ask you to forgive me. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 4. Now remember, this is Peter, who is Peter, who's standing in front of these people, right? Writing this. He says, come into him as to, we're jumping into a verse, come into him as to a living stone, a living stone, rejected indeed by men, but chosen by God and precious. I tell you if, you, if you have Jesus, you have to appreciate his preciousness. Because many don't. Many reject him. But if you have him, you need to appreciate his preciousness. And it's, and it's, and it's preciousness from God's point of view. Chosen and precious. Drop down to verse 6. Therefore, it is also contained in the scripture, behold... Says God, I lay in Zion a chief cornerstone, elect, precious, and he who believes on him will by no means be put to shame. Be encouraged to trust in him. Therefore, to you who believe he is precious, or should I say, therefore to you who believe he is precious, but to those who are disobedient, the stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone and a stone of, of stumbling if you're not careful. A stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. They stumble. Why? Notice, because they're disobedient to the word. Now there's a message just in that. Be careful not to be disobedient to the word because it could easily cause you to what? To stumble. Don't be disobedient to the word. Don't be a hero of the... Don't be coming here every Sunday. Don't be going Bible study, carrying your Bible, saying I'm a Christian. Don't be a hero of the word and not a doer. Why? Because you're deceiving, not me, not anyone else around you. You're deceiving yourself. Far from deceiving God... So, hey, if you don't want to stumble over this rock, be obedient to the word and appreciate the rock for, oh, what? And it's only as you begin to be obedient do you really begin to appreciate his preciousness. Oh, my goodness. A stone of stumbling and a rock of offense, they stumble being disobedient to the word to which they were also appointed. Scary. The cornerstone or the capstone, the stone from which all other stones take their reference. For these men, Jesus is not a re- for these men, Jesus is not a regarded reference point. These men are not good builders. Neither are they stones in the building. It's a double entendre, which is a phrase that has two meanings. These men are not good builders, neither are they stones in the building. Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 11, For no other foundation can anyone lay than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Let's not forget that. And Peter continues his barrage of truth. Acts chapter 4, look at verse 12. <coughs> Heavy scripture. Every Christian should have this scripture memorized. Standard. 
nor, King James says, neither, nor is there salvation in any other. This is one of the first, not the first, but one of the first verses I, I memorized. I say King James because my first Bible was a King James, King James version. Neither is there salvation in any other, for there is for there is no other name, back to New King James, under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Oh my gosh. This is another of those places in scripture that clearly outlines the exclusivity of salvation. It can only, underline only, be found in Christ alone. Now that's not a very popular message. Sola fide, solus Christus. It's not Greek, that's Latin. And it means by faith alone, through Christ alone. What's another verse that reminds you of the fact that there's only one way? John chapter 14, verse 6. Jesus said to him, this is in response to, was it Philip? I can't remember, we looked at this the other night. Jesus says in response to a question by his disciple who said, Lord, show us the way. Because he said, I'm leaving. They're like, huh, don't leave. We don't know the way, Lord. And Jesus responds by saying, bruv, the direction is in me. You want to get to the, you want to get to the, what do they call the place at the end of the road? You want to get to the destination? <laughs> Jesus says, it's, it's in me. You can't even get there on your own. It's in me. He says, I am the way. And trust me, there is no other truth. And furthermore, when it comes to life, I'm the only life giver. It's all wrapped up in me. He says, no one comes to the Father except, just, just in case it wasn't clear, no one comes to the Father except he comes through me. I'm the door. How many of you know that this message is a very difficult but a necessary one to preach? Notice he didn't say, Jesus has got a wonderful plan for your life. He didn't say, come to Jesus. As he held the mic, come to Jesus and he'll bless your marriage. He didn't say, come to Jesus. Now, Jesus will bless your marriage. How many of you know that's true? I can, I can say amen to that. After how many? This October is 19 years I've been married. I can look back and I can say, you know what? Jesus blesses your marriage. But hey, that's a byproduct of the gospel. That ain't the gospel. Chatting about Jesus. Come to Jesus and he'll, he'll forward your business. How about just ask Jesus to come into your heart? He didn't say that. You know, last Tuesday, there was a documentary on telly called Deborah 13, Servant of God. I don't know if any of you saw it. I know some of you saw it. I'll say that because obviously I'm talking to the, the congregation. There's a documentary about a 13-year-old girl called Deborah Drapper, who, unlike other British teens has never heard of Britney Spears or Victoria Beckham. They were like, do you know who this person is? And they went, who, the person with the glasses? No. 
She's been brought up in a deeply Christian family. I have it on good authority that the program is going to be screened again tonight at 8 p.m. on BBC Three. Alternatively, you can watch it online anytime if you have internet access on BBC iPlayer and it's available until Tuesday, that is this Tuesday, the 17th of March. I'd encourage you to watch it. There's a lot to say about the program. 99.9% of it, inspirational. And I've condensed my comments down to one statement. When I grow up, I want to be like Deborah Draper. She was and is very much like Peter and John are here in Acts chapter 4, in her fearless declaration of the truth. She didn't hold back. She didn't hold back vital information. It's not popular information, but it's vital information. And Peter and John here likewise, they don't shrink back, but courageously and articulately communicate the facts. It wasn't just that they were bold in speaking. It wasn't just the way they said it, but it was also what they said. It was powerful, confrontational, but most importantly, it was true. Verse 13 Acts chapter 4. Now, when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated and untrained men, they marveled. And they realized that, that they had been with Jesus. They realized that they had been with Jesus. And seeing the man who had been healed standing with them, they could say nothing against it. I mean, here we have the most powerful men in the nation surrounding two of the most powerless. Yet these two seemingly powerless men have more power available to them than these actually powerless men. And they're nothing but two fishermen. That ought to encourage the weakest of hearts. Amen? Ignorant and untrained or uneducated men, that is in regard to the halls of academia that these intelligent and intellectual men were familiar with. Peter and John didn't have any degrees. And you know what? That encourages someone like me. Because I haven't got an academic degree. It's terrifying for me to stand here before you very often because I know half of you in here have got degrees. I don't have one. And to add insult to my own injury, I've never even been to Bible college. Yet, I won't allow that to prevent me from believing that God can still use my life. And I do desire to further my education. And I do commit great amounts of time to study. But I don't have any diplomas or certificates on my wall in my office. I don't even have an office. 
<laughs> you get me, Pete? Now, if you get the opportunity to go to university, grab it. Grab it with both hands. If you get the opportunity to go to Bible school, take it. Take that opportunity. But if you don't get these opportunities, it doesn't mean that God can't use you. The issue is, are you spending time with Jesus? Whether in Bible college or otherwise, are you spending time with Jesus? Remember, it wasn't, far, it wasn't far from this very spot that Peter, the coward, had denied the Lord Jesus only a few weeks ago. Yet now we see the complete opposite, right? And Peter, what in verse 8? And Peter filled with the Spirit. Chapter 4, verse 8, right? Well, chapter 4, verse 8 is the result of chapter 1, verse 8. Do you remember? Jesus said, but you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem, which is right where they are. And in all Judea, it doesn't end there, and Samaria and to the end of the earth. And that goes for all of his disciples because the end of the earth wasn't reached by them. The end of the earth still ain't been reached. So we can trust that the same Lord that said this is going to help disciples to continue to fulfill that commission. Amen? And we will go on to see the rest of... Of, of that verse, chapter 1, verse 8, being fulfilled as we journey through this book. I mean, wow. Look at Peter and John. Be like, can you imagine? The Lord must have been so proud of them. You see, he, he had faith in the Spirit at work in their lives. That's why he could turn around to Peter and say, you know what, Simon, Simon, Satan has desire to have you that he may sift you as wheat. Don't this is serious. He's out to get you. But you know what, Peter, as he rests his hand on his shoulder, if you like, I've prayed for you. And that makes all the difference. I have prayed for you that your faith fails not. And when you are converted, strengthen your brethren. Strengthen the other brothers, he says. Now, the question is, are, the question isn't, are you strong? The question is, is Jesus praying for you? Well, you know, if you're saved, he's, <laughs> he's praying for you. Now, if you ain't saved, there ain't no guarantee that he's praying for you. Look at Peter and John. Witnessing or boldly representing Boldly representing, again, which is our title, how? Having spent time with Jesus and being filled with his spirit. Both vital ingredients. Having spent time with Jesus, who is the word of God, 
In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God, and the Word was with God. And later on in John 1, the Word, the word was manifest in the flesh. It's Jesus. He's the Word of God. So if you're spending time with Jesus, you can't not be spending time with the Word. Spending time with Jesus and also being filled with his spirit. Both vital ingredients. Verse 15. Okay, we've got to hurry now. Oh my goodness. But they, when they had commanded them, that is the leaders, to go aside out of the council, they conferred among themselves. So they asked them to leave the room, right? Verse 16 saying, what shall we do with these men? They couldn't say that in front of them. Oh. <laughs> What shall we do with these men? For indeed, that a notable miracle has been done through them is evident to all who dwell in Jerusalem. And we, we can't deny it. I mean, at least they're honest. They're not repentant, but they evidently understand what's going on. Thank you, bro. They can't, as much as they want to, they can't deny it. This is crazy. It's so ludicrously, look at what's happening. It is to ludicrously suggest that something that you're looking at isn't there. Verse 17, but so that this spreads no further among the people, let us severely threaten them that from now on they speak to no man in this name. In the Greek, they threatenly threatened is the intent. Severely, it's like, you know, what did you say, bruv? Wait a minute. Are you threatening me? Yes. Directly, yes. You do this, we, trust me, are going to do that. Now talk about hard-hearted. See, I told you these men were criminals. And I had to protect their investment. Verse 18, and they called them and commanded them not to speak at all, nor teach in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John answered and said to them, you know what? Whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you more than to God, you judge. Now remember, they're in the highest court of the land with the choice brain in judgment in the land. Watch how Peter and John challenge these who are in authority, to give a judgment. It's like, why don't you do your job and be who you're supposed to be? Watch this. If God has spoken to us, if you like, say Peter and John, if a myriad of miracles have taken place, if we have the declaration of the prophets, if Jesus, our master, has risen from the dead, you tell us, whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you more than to God. You judge. Peter asks the judges to judge on their own judgment. I mean, you'd have thought they went in and they, 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 they came up with a master plan. Oh, we got it right. This is what we're going to do. We're going to get out there. We're going to do this, that, and the other. Like, I mean, you're the biggest brains spiritually in, in the world. And you look, come out and within minutes... He's annihilated your perspective and your argument and all that you have to say. And you can't do a thing about it. The audacity, the boldness of the spirit at work in Peter. And he continues, verse... <laughs> Peter. 
This is typical Peter, but in a good sense. Verse 20, for we cannot but speak the things which we have seen and heard. So when they had further threatened them, because they can't do nothing else, right? It's all threats, pointing the finger. When they had further threatened them, they let them go, finding no way to punish them. Why? Because of the people. You do a study on these religious leaders. They don't fear God. You know who they fear? Man. Because of the people. Since they all glorified God for what had been done. For the man was over 40 years old on whom this miracle of healing had been performed. These men blinded by their own greed, their own power. Wow. Jesus said, oh, how hard it is for a rich man to enter into the kingdom of God. Verse 23, and being let go, we're nearly finished. Being let go, they went to their own companions, back to the community of the saints. And they reported all that the chief priests and the elders had said to them. Imagine them telling that story. Oh my goodness. People be like, I can't believe it. I don't even know how I even come up with that. But boy, I said this and then... They had to leave the room. They had nothing to say. And they went out. But you know what? It was the power of the spirit at work still. You can imagine them. Where am I? Verse 24. So when they heard them, that is the disciples talk about what happened. They raised their voice to God with one accord and said, Lord, how could you even allow things like this to happen? We're your people. Got man terrorizing us. We're only trying to help them. What kind of business is this? You know what? I'm Peter and John. Next time you go out, good for you. Because I'm not coming with you if that's the kind of treatment I'm going to get when I go. That's not what they say. They said, Lord, you are God. Who made heaven and earth and the sea and all that is in them. What did they do? They worshipped God. May God help us to have this mindset. I tell you. Because it's, 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 it's other dimensional this mentality. You're confronted with circumstances that. One are not good. Two you don't like. Three you don't deserve. You know what I mean? But like Job. Rather than curse God and die, you fall to your knees, you raise your hands, and you say, the Lord gives and the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Amen? Say, well, amen to the principle, right? I don't know about the reality. They worship God. No complaining. Who, by the mouth of your servant David, have said, why did the nations rage and the people plot vain things? They don't understand you. They don't understand who you are. The kings of the earth took their stand, and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against this Christ. Now, this is a prophecy from Psalm 2. See, they, they were like, you know what? This is all, it's already, this has already been predicted. We're in the midst of... God doing amazing things. Can you, can you believe this? They were saying. And they're saying, Lord, for truly against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and... Because the fight ain't even with you. They don't even hate me and you. And they're not even the enemy forevermore. The Bible says we don't wrestle against flesh and blood. 
you, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, where the Gentiles and the people of Israel were gathered together to do whatever your hand and your purpose determined before to be done. Now, Lord, look on their threats. We're not even going to try and draw for the mandate. You're not going to back it. No. You look at their threats, Lord, and grant your servants that with all boldness they may continue to do the same thing, which is to speak the word. By stretching out also your hand to heal and that signs and wonders may be done through the name of your holy servant Jesus. That's the prayer. And when they had prayed, God responded, innit? The Lord doesn't always respond like this, evidently. <laughs> you know what I mean? But hey, some. Did you hear that? <laughs> Maybe sometimes He will respond. There's me hoping for a sign. Joke. But Lord, the Lord, the Lord is just so thrilled with what's happening and their response to what's happening. It says the whole place where they were assembled was shaken. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. And they spoke the word of God with boldness. Notice what these disciples particularly pray for in verse 29. The ability to speak the word. And that God would continue to confirm that word with signs following. Whatever signs he chooses that would eventually end up pointing Back to Jesus. Amen. May God help us, like Peter and John, to represent. Let's pray. Father, we need to be overcome. We need to be consumed. We need to be affected by the truth of your word. We need to be, Lord, we need to be affected. So often, Lord, we try to affect ourselves. We try to hump it. We try to hype up ourselves. We try and pull ourselves up by our own bootstraps. But, Lord, it's, a, it's time and effort and energy expended, Lord, unproductively. Lord, unless you fill us with your spirit and illuminate our understanding with regard to your word, Lord, we don't have anything that we can offer. And Lord, we so want to represent. We so want to stand up, Lord, and be counted. We so want to not be ashamed and cowardly. We don't want to shrink back. You have no pleasure in those that shrink back. But Lord, we can't do it. Apart from you working in our hearts, working in our lives, powerfully touching and affecting us. Lord, we believe in in your word and we trust in the power of your spirit. Lord, we're asking that you grant us effective, Lord, effective administration of both of those things.